It's the Quotidian. It's episode 23 with Nicholas Yanni. Hey there, and welcome back to the Quotidian Podcast. I'm Bradley Dennis. It's been a few weeks since our last episode, and I apologize. Lots is happening here, including an unexpected run of COVID through our household just in time for the holidays. But we're back. We are all recovering, and we have an absolutely amazing episode for you with Mr. Nicholas Yanni. Over the last 20 years, Nicholas has gained an international reputation for his transformational coaching and leadership development seminars. He's served clients including FedEx, Rolls-Royce, Intel, Motorola, the list goes on and on. He bridges the world of creative and personal and spiritual and professional development in a uniquely powerful and relevant and accessible way. In his first career, Nicholas was a theater director, which is what initially attracted me to his work. He taught acting at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London, and he directed his own theater company, but has spent the last 30 years researching the theories and practices of the zone of peak performance, studying multiple mind-body disciplines. In 2001, he left the theater to co-found the arts-based leadership development consultancy Olivier Mythodrama, and in 2013, he founded his own consultancy, Core Presence. He was an associate fellow at the University of Oxford Said Business School and currently teaches regularly at the IMD Business School in Lausanne. Nicholas and I spoke about presence in coaching, a subject I've delved deeply into as a result of my own coaching training, as well as the differences between being and doing, which are topics he examines closely in his new book, Leader as Healer. Nicholas is an absolutely amazing man with an incredible depth of knowledge and passion for helping people. Thank you as ever for being here and your continued support. And now, please enjoy the studied and masterful presence of Mr. Nicholas Yanni. Well, Nicholas, uh, it's my pleasure and privilege to welcome you to the Quotidian. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Bradley. I'm excited to talk with you. Wonderful. And also, congratulations on the creation of what I think is an exceptionally well-written and much-needed book, Leader is Healer. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's a title um, that four or five years ago would not have had a lot of traction. And yes, it's been really warmly received in many quarters. So yeah. I think that's a sign of our time. Well, that that might actually be a, a great um, 
entry point for this is what has changed in the zeitgeist that makes this this book and this work um, available to people now? What has changed that they're they're more receptive to this than they were, say, five or ten years ago? Well, I think, uh, you know, I'm part of a number of people who for some years have said that our culture is sitting on very shaky ground and it's somehow held together, somehow. Um, then there was COVID and I remember a few of us saying, wow, maybe COVID will really change something. And then at the end mm -hmm. saying, actually, unfortunately, it wasn't bad enough. It wasn't bad enough. Then we had the we have the war. So basically, you know, I think the world is in a state of unraveling. And I think more and more people see that and feel that. And uh, a title, I think more and more people realize that it, however you understand the word, healing is needed. It's ironic to to kind of point out that COVID wasn't bad enough. And, and I, I completely agree I know, that I, know. I think in the er, in the early days <clears throat> of that experience, we all had this sort of duality relationship to COVID, which was, wow, this is terrible. And there's going to be a lot of suffering. And also there was this sense yeah. of reset and much needed retreat, all the images of wildlife roaming deserted right. streets and seeing the sense of the world start to close over an open wound that, that maybe there was something there and that perhaps that's what revealed the, the necessity here, but that it didn't, we didn't go quite far enough and we've almost right. overcorrected in some ways. Um, right. right. One of the sort of the focal points of the book and and one I'd like to start with is this concept of being and doing, which I think on the surface mm. seems very clear. But perhaps uh, for a lot of folks, as they sink into what those meanings are, they don't see a lot of. Uh, difference between the two. Could you take a second and and sort of illustrate what you mean by the difference between being and doing? Yes, certainly. I mean, as a matter of fact, they could not be more different. Because let's say it like this: when when um, when I present this in leadership training groups and I explain the difference pretty much everyone understands that our culture has normalized the primacy of doing. Doing is mm -hmm. is a very forward motion, proactive uh, energy towards the world, which of course has a very important place. But within it, people are deeply disconnected from their body, from their emotions, from a sense of inner spaciousness, actually from a sense of deeper presence. Presence meaning I'm here. I'm really here. Yes. So the moment we the moment we inject a transmission, a frequency of being, which happens in different ways, first of all, people start to come home to their body, and that mm. changes everything. It literally changes mm. everything. 
you know, if you, you take, let's say someone goes to a good yoga class and they come out onto the street afterwards, for at least some minutes, reality is completely different. Why? Yeah. Because they've reconnected yeah. to the unembodied experience that is at the very core of being. Now, we have deeply left that. That's one of the mm -hmm. core themes of my book, because it's mm -hmm. catastrophic. We've located ourselves primarily as thinkers. And in that, we've normalized that, and we seem to have forgotten that thinking doesn't feel anything. And that thinking, as Einstein invited, should be our servant, not our master. Or, as mm -hmm. Ian McGilchrist would say, and we spoke about him a moment ago, the left brain is supposed to serve the right brain but the left brain has taken yes. over and forgotten. Yes. It's forgotten its true role. So the right brain is very much more associated with a, an experience of being, a sensory relationship to the world, a connected yes. relationship to the world. And you know, it's interesting, in his book, he quotes an, an experiment where in a lab, they, you know, obviously they can easily switch off left or right brain. So someone who was functioning without any right brain activation, pure left brain, would look at his hand and actually say, whose hand is that? But that's mm -hmm. pretty incredible. That in Complete our left brain mortality, we have zero, zero feeling of our body. And that's how most people are, Bradley. That's how most people mm. are. You know, I, I, I often in, in training, I invite people to remember the last time or the times when they feel really good in their body, really deeply at home in their body. And everyone can have a sense of that. And then I ask, mm -hmm. okay, so in your normal working day, what percentage of the time do you feel that in your body? The answer is between zero and 5%. Wow. That's how disconnected our culture right. is. That's how entrapped yeah. we are in doing. So, but one important thing is the way I teach it, it's not either or. The presence is like we have a bowl of being inside that we're resting in, mm -hmm. and then we have a, out of that arises an arrow of doing, which can be very fast, very gentle. It depends on what I'm meeting, but I rest inside in the sense of being embodied. That's, that's what mm -hmm. I call peak performance. And that, some people call that flow, that's the sort of the athletic zone, people have called yeah. that. One of the things that exactly. deeply yeah. attracted me to your work in particular was from my own experience in history as a theater creator and performer is that sense of being and doing that you get on the stage and when you're really connected yeah. to the inner landscape both of emotion, uh, sensation, and connection to yourself and to your ensemble, that from that platform, right. you can also reach out across the threshold and experience the other and experience the audience. And so I know you have a, a real exactly. robust and rich history in theater and theatrical work. And so I'm curious 
about that in particular, but also how you port that forward and what you see the connections are between the work you're doing now and the work you did, say, with Grotowski or uh, with Theatre Ons in, in Switzerland. Right. Yeah, well, I spent literally 20 years researching what you're calling the flow state with actors. Um, mm. And it was amazing. I never thought I would stop doing that, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, that, as you, as you well know, is a state of total embodiment, where, as, in an, as we were in, as children, our body is feeling everything. Or, as yeah. Grotowski put it, the gap between yeah. inner impulse and outer action is demolished. And there are one or two mm. actors, very few in the contemporary world who, who you can see have that, where you look at their face, they're not apparently do anything, but their whole inner world is transparent. I don't know if you've seen that film, new film with Eddie Redmayne, The Good Nurse. Uh, I have not, it's very but powerful. I will now. It's a very powerful film, and he has that. It's really very, very high level of acting. You get his whole inner world just from the way he's looking. So why? So what's the connection? In some way, it's a very direct connection. Because also in that space, you are a vessel. You're not creating. Mm. It was like when an actor would come to me and say, oh, I don't know what to do with this Shakespeare speech. And my response was always, I don't care what you want to do with it. It's actually not interesting. <laughs> what will be interesting yes. is what, what will it do with you? If yes. you can enter a state of deep presence, and then you start working with this extraordinary language, and then you allow it to do something with you. Mm. That's creativity. But that's also in a team meeting... What happens when a, a team know how to sit in that deep presence? And then that's when real innovation starts. Ideas come. Right. And it's totally different from doing. Um, I was speaking with the CEO this morning about this, and he really got it. You know, we don't do creativity. We don't do innovation. We have to understand that. We have to be receptive to it. So in that way, there's a very mm. direct connection because the receptivity arises when we're deeply embodied. It's one of the most clear connections. That's a, a lovely articulation. Yeah. And I'm I'm particularly interested in, you know, you started to talk about you know, like your conversation with uh, that you had this morning that in in the board meeting, in you know, in the group, in in a, any context, team context outside of the theatrical, the mechanics are the same. Yeah. Right. It's the it involves a listening right. as much as a 
a pre- it's a inner listening to oneself and an and availability to everyone around you. How do you teach that? How do you open that up for people who say don't have the experience of the theater yeah. or of, of that play, right. except as children, perhaps? Right. Through a multi-level approach, which I explain mm. and then we experience. So that multi-level approach, the main components of it at first are deep somatic work. So I, I take people through whole processes of really feeling their body again, and, and it's revelation for some people. So that's a very important part of it. And I teach practices about how to stay connected, how, you know, because mm. otherwise people have this deep experience and they're sitting in their chairs afterwards like, wow, I feel incredible. And then 10 minutes later, mm-hmm. they take a break and they're on their phone and it's finished. Their phone. <laughs> so I teach practices about maintaining that. Now, the most, yeah. the biggest breakthrough threshold in many respects is the emotional one. Because the suppression yes. of emotion is one of the ways that keeps our whole system frozen. So first we have to demolish the idea of positive and negative emotion. We have to make it safe enough right. for people to be vulnerable. And I have certain ways of doing that. And it always happens on the second day, it's like the floodgates mm. open and suddenly there's a lot of emotion yes. and that's game changing. Cause once that happens, people's nervous system is really more unified. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're already in a very, very different conversation and state. Uh, and all the time I'm working with mindfulness all the time with, with the principle of, and I explain that by, um, actually a beautiful image in the Jewish tradition where they say, if you open a book, you have all the black letters and that's mainly only what we think about. But there's also a white page. There's also mm. a white page. And that white page is, is a profound value. So I'm all the time also. And you wouldn't be able to read the letters if it weren't for the white page. That's that yang yin, <laughs> right? Also that's, true. The, <laughs> that's also true. That they, they yeah. rest so, on you know, one the another. To there's your that. question is the, yeah. Yes. And the answer to your question is uh, through a multi-level approach. And I also, you know, I explain that in my mind, any real development, particularly leadership development, has to go along two parallel streams. One is the meditative, one is the body work, one is everything that opens us. But without this, which is where we meet our, our emotional wounding, our personal, intergenerational, sometimes collective wounding, this is not enough. Mm-hmm. So I talk a lot about trauma. Uh, mm-hmm. The longer we work, the more we actually can work with that. But it's very eye-opening for people just to understand what we're all carrying. And mm-hmm. um, that unless we address that, we're mm-hmm. only dealing with half the picture. And that's the least addressed part in most corporate training. Mm. 
and certainly in most corporate yes. coaching. I don't know many uh, methodologies that really touch that because it's not cognitive. The only thing that's needed, the only thing that's needed with our emotions is to feel them. And most work mm -hmm. will do anything other than that. And getting you know, to a place of non-judgment about our feelings, right? That, exactly. that sense of there is no the emotions come up, they're neither good feeling. or bad. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. And the more we can welcome them, the deeper the unification is. You know, particularly now, emotions like I feel lost, I feel helpless. Well, instead of trying to change that, let's just really embrace that. It's radical. Mm -hmm. And it takes a while for people to really accept that because we're so conditioned and, to try and heal those things. Right. And so sourcing in the body, getting someone to start becoming aware somatically of what lives below the neck that's exactly. that's where trauma lives yeah. that's also where the emotions reside exactly. and by by getting yes. in touch with that and that feeling then you can move you can move through them you can move with them right. that's that's quite a process for a yeah. lot of people it, it's a it's a huge threshold Huge. Yes. Because, and, and one of the main um, bridges or obstacles, let's say, I, I call it moving from narrative to experience, because that's the other way of describing mm. our culture of absence, is that we're in a constant narrative. We're constantly talking about everything, but it's disconnected. Mm -hmm. Now, in the narrative version of the world, we feel we have some control. When we move into experience, when there's no control, you can't control your experience, you can only experience it. And that's one of the biggest gateways in this threshold. Am I willing to give up trying to be in control? Am I willing to just feel what I feel? Can you talk a little bit about the the muscle of attention in this process and how mm. one directs yeah. one's attention through that? Right. You showed me a really beautiful little, was it like a tile you had before we started? Can you read it? My mother it's, yeah, <laughs> it's such an amazing made it. It says, attention is a moral act which is a quote from Ian McGilchrist's right. first major book, The Master and His Emissary. Ah, okay. I didn't remember that. So, attention is a game-changing action, if we call it an action. The first thing for a lot of people is to understand that paying attention has nothing to do with thinking. Because at first, you, they get conflated. Paying attention is a mm -hmm. much more primary function. It starts very simply with let's pay attention to our breathing. And you see there, even as I say that, there's a slowing down. There's a slowing down. Mm -hmm. Let's just notice 
the sensations as I breathe in and as I breathe out. So that's like the first gateway. And if someone really starts to do that, the interesting thing, and we know this now, um, that our brainwave frequency measurably changes. The moment we mm. actually start noticing and paying attention, our whole state changes. That's very powerful. So then we, of course, we go deeper and deeper and we refine our attentional capacity more and more. And then comes a critical practice where we understand the possibility of paying attention inwardly and outwardly at the same time. I mm -hmm. think that's a mastery practice. That's a mastery of presence. I fully feel my body, my emotions, if emotions are rising, and I fully feel the outside at the same time. And that what, that takes practice, 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 and, and there's no end to the depth of that. Yes. I think most people, Bradley, walk around, they don't really notice what's happening around them. I, th I think most people don't are in such a bubble that they don't really notice what's happening around them. I didn't. I didn't used to. Yeah. Compared to now. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that <clears throat> kind of woke me up to to what I wanted to do, especially <clears throat> as you mentioned in the pandemic. And sort of seeing the, I want to call it the epidemic of, of meaninglessness in people's lives, especially in young people. Mm -hmm. My experience touching back on, on theater and working in physical theater was that I was enamored of the process of being awake in my body and being awake to the world. And, and I call it this sort of omnidirectional exactly. awareness. Exactly. That that I could, exactly. I didn't really care about the performing. It was it was the process, the <laughs> generating safe space in which me and right. my fellow creators could listen, could deeply delve in research to material that we felt was salient, uh, something that was important to port forward. Right. But those right. were the things that I felt most important about bringing from my theatrical experience forward. And I, I hear that very much right. uh, echoed in, in what you're saying is that what we are looking for, what is sorely yeah. needed is this ability to sit with ourselves in the moment, to have that inner awareness and the simultaneous availability and listening to the outer, that that's where we have meaningful conversations. Right. That's where innovation comes from. That's where the creative spark actually happens. Exactly. So there's not a question I, there, I <laughs> but it's a, it's a noticing for sure. No, but I, I, I couldn't agree more. That's why I define presence in one way as I'm here and I'm available. That's mm -hmm. like a core definition mm -hmm. of presence. And by the way, what you said, um, I think that's partly why in the late 70s, Grotowski stopped doing theatre. It was no longer mm. as interesting for him as the exploration of exactly what you've just spoken about. 
And when I went to Poland, yeah. we didn't do theatre. We did crazy, wild, extreme physical work out in nature, all of which was mm. intended to open deeper and deeper flow. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I mean, it's a digression. But the only way they knew how to do that was through physical extremity. And right. later, when I brought the work to England, I realized that's not okay. And they, it's not okay. <laughs> it's actually damaging it's, in the end. Yes. No, it's, it's a whole yes. other, it's a whole other conversation yeah. now. But, yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, I'm diving into the book in uh, chapter four, which is all mm. about purpose. A life of purpose, sort of the principle. Uh -huh. I, I just finished a, a graduate program um, in depth psychology and, and Jungian work, basically the psychology of creativity. So I was wow. very excited to see mm. uh, this reference here where you quote him and you say, living without purpose is one of the most grievous wounds of all to the soul. And that right. the two central questions right. that arise out of that for you are, what is the work that is mine to do? And also, what is it that's being asked of me? And I'd love to hear you dive a little deeper mm -hmm. into how we explore that for ourselves. Mm. Thank you, Bradley. Well, it's interesting because purpose is actually becoming one of the most dominant parts of my work at the moment, um, which is an interesting step and it's kind of happened naturally. And I think that's because at this time more than ever, we are called to know what we stand for. You know, the world is getting more and more toxic, more and more fragmented. So leaders mm. and organizations, I believe, really need to know what you're standing for and what you're standing against. Who are you in this world? And mm. of course, purpose is exactly that. Um, <clears throat> so once people, okay, we do a whole exploration of that. And then we come to those two questions that you, 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 you mentioned which again I thank you because the first one is a self-knowledge and and the phrasing is very important I am I like to be very precise with words so what is the work that is mine to do is a kind mm. of inner it's like a pairing away to an essence of who I am who am mm. I really and and it's I think it takes a long time, for instance, it takes a long time to um, gradually reduce the whole fitting in drive. Because I think far more than most people realize, we're driven, as we were in childhood, by a, a very deep need to fit in. And that yes. inherently compromises yeah. the essence of who we are. Because then we start, mm -hmm. we don't know anymore what's really mine to do. And we realize, well, I don't even know I chose that profession. Or even on a more everyday level, I don't really know who I am. 
So that's mm -hmm. a that's a lifelong pairing away to come to a deeper and deeper sense of what is my work? Who am I? What am I here to do? Which is a mixture mm -hmm. of what I love doing. It's a mixture of what my real gifts are. It's a mixture of what breaks my heart in the world. What am I here to really contribute? That's me, 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 me. And then there is what I would consider a deeper question, which is both individual and group. And the individual version is, what is it that is being asked of me now? So that requires such a, a strong level of listening, of surrender, surrender of what I want to do. No, it's not what I want to do. I know what is my gift. I know what I can contribute. So what is the universe asking of me now? What's the next step? And can I hear that? And can I follow that? Again, we're in the following. It's a bowing. And that's a big step for many, many people. It's not what do I want to do? It's what's being asked of me. And then, which we get to in groups sometimes, what is being asked of us now? And, you know, we go into deep reflection and then people just speak what's coming to them. If it's, let's say, a team, um, or mm -hmm. even a group of uh, leaders from different countries in a program at the business schools where I teach, as a group of senior leaders, What's being asked of us now in the world, 2022? And we get some amazing statements arising from that. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a deep level of being and a deep level of listening. That was exactly the word that came to me as I was hearing you talk about this, is that you can't do that work until you're able to connect to that listening, to understand and to know what it is yeah. that you're feeling about things, to have some experience. My focus is has been lately on working with young people, on helping them cultivate the tools of mm -hmm. self-knowledge, understanding, there's such a crisis of identity right now. People are struggling with anxiety and depression, and so much of that is derived from both the lack of attention and the lack of an inab or an inability to listen to themselves and to the world. So it's exactly. nice to hear you really key into that. Yeah, and it is a muscle <laughs> that we strengthen. It's, it's it's a muscle that we can yeah throughout our life. Just the same with embodiment. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's true for you that my experience of embodiment just gets deeper and deeper, literally sometimes. Yes. Uh, maybe after a particular strong bit of inner work, the next day I actually notice, wow, I'm walking differently. <laughs> Something really changed in my body. So I'm particularly interested right now in in what it is that you want to see happen 
as a result of your work? Where does this work take you and where does it take mm. us? <sighs> That's a big question. Thank you. <laughs> Just the little um, questions here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting is that the one of the biggest projects I've been involved in this year um, is with one of the world's biggest law firms. And we've done five retreats. We've done, my team have done 200 one-to-one -one coaching sessions. Leader wow. is healer. And we're yeah. just about to embark on a whole new phase of work around purpose. So part of my offering at the moment is a transformational process with one organization. Um, and it's proving it's getting more powerful than I could have ever imagined, actually. Mm. Uh, getting, we're getting some incredible feedback about the effect on the firm. So another part of is the training I offer coaches. So I'm actually running two tr transformational coaching programs at the moment. One because it's with a group in Australia and the other is a more global group. Um, and then you mentioned something that I feel a big call to, although it hasn't yet really manifested, although it may be about to, which is to work with young people, Bradley. Because I know that I have a lot of essential skills and tools. And I believe being young at the moment is really challenging given what's going on in yes. the world and i'm actually yes, getting involved in a fantastic project um with bob anderson of the leadership circle and leo burke who's quite a well-known figure and they're putting together a whole program of elders and young leaders and i've been asked to be one of the facilitators on that so i'm very excited about that that's starting in london in february um, uh, and you know, I'm listening all the time. Like I said, I'm listening. What's calling? What's calling? We've launched mm -hmm. a new coaching platform, which is again, my team and I, six of us, we've been exploring something that shouldn't be possible. And yet we found it is, which is to do profound work in just 30 minute coaching sessions. And we call it matrix coaching and people understand the principles. We have actually an incredible website. It went live a week ago. So people who come know we will give them just two minutes at the beginning to present your issue and we time it. So you need to prepare your narrative and then we jump straight to what's happening inside you. Let's really feel what's happening. And we and We've done 240 of these sessions and we and our clients are regularly astonished by what happens. So I'm very excited about that. And we've just trained, we're training 11 new people to do this work. So, and the person with who I co-founded this has a vision of this going to tens of thousands of people. And it's very, I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say, but it's very time efficient. It's 30 minutes. And um, we go outside normal time. Sometimes within 20 minutes, we're like, I think we're finished. And we've touched deep trauma. 
or big awakening, you know, or big awakening, or both in 20 minutes. There's something about, the, it's, we feel we're being taught, you can feel my excitement, we're being taught mm -hmm. as we do this. We're working totally with frequency, we're working direct with energy. Um, mm -hmm. So we're quite, we're very excited as a team. We feel that something is birthing through us, that it's new. And I have co uh, psychotherapists in my team who initially said, no, 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 30 minutes, you can't do that. No, no, no. What about the follow-up? What about the, no, no, no. And they're like saying, wow, yes. okay, something remarkable is happening here. So that's a whole platform mm -hmm. that I'm overseeing you know, which could serve thousands of people in the end. It's called matrixcoaching.net. And actually people can already, people can already book sessions direct from the website. One of the things I hear behind your voice also is the understanding sort of implicit in this work is that while you do have and your team has an enormous amount of expertise in this area and the work that you're doing comes from yeah. uh, a deep basis of knowledge, you are remaining present and open in the moment to being teachable. That in this work, there totally. it's a two-way street. <laughs> that you are growing in yeah. the same moment yeah. that your, your client is growing and that to deny that or to, to state anything other than that would be a denial of the relationship that exists in that coaching dyad. And so that's very heartening, very exciting to mm. hear about as a growing coach myself that is very committed right. to right. doing the exact same work that I'm encouraging my clients to do. That's, that is, right. I think, the difference, remaining vulnerable yeah. and demonstrating vulnerability in that work. Right. It's so beautiful how you say that. Honestly, I would say that I'm learning more than at any other time in my life right now. And, and I really how celebrate that. And learning at all levels, all levels, including doing my own intergenerational trauma work. Big piece happened a couple of weeks ago with that, but also with the higher levels. I'm, I've never been in such a rich learning. Yeah. I'm really curious for you, Nicholas. You know, I started this podcast to explore creative energy in everyday life, and it's sort of pivoted as I've trained as a coach and really started to focus on the questions that we're examining here today. I'm curious for you, and I hear a lot of excitement in the work that you're doing, but where do you find you connect to creative energy and creative expression in your life right now? Mm. Your questions are getting more and more touching. <laughs> 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 it's really lovely. Um, 
<laughs> well, again, in different ways. Uh, through my marriage, I mean, my wife and I are in such a beautiful journey together. For me, very much through nature mm. and very much through music. I'm, I'm uh, first of all, I'm already a quite high level percussionist, djembe drummer. But also the last four years, I'm, I'm studying the oud, the Arabic instrument, Ooh, which is beautiful. one of the most soulful instruments I've, I've ever heard. So that's, yes. a, I mean, it's a really difficult instrument, but I get a lot of deep pleasure from, um, from that learning journey. And conversation, mm -hmm. you know, relations, Brad. I have a wonderful circle of close friends, all of whom are deeply devoted to life and growing. And mm. I, I think more than ever, relationship is, is fundamentally important. So to have sanghas, whatever we call it, you know, small circles, yes. communities, plus Plus all the groups I run, all the all the you know trainings I run, I get huge learning and and creative um, insights from that from those as well. I mean, how lucky is that to be doing work we love and and to be learning through doing it? Yeah, when people yes. you know the it's, the idea. It's a I was with a friend the other night, and she said she's seventy something. And she said, people ask me, when are you going to retire? And I say, well, why would I retire? <laughs> What's ridiculous? <laughs> so I feel the same. That's wonderful. What's the meaning That's of wonderful. retiring? I mean, seriously. Yeah. Exactly. If retire from what? <laughs> <laughs> from what? <laughs> yeah. So, yes, all of those things, you know. Wonderful. I'm really glad to hear you and bring I up in, you know, I the... Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I live, uh, you know, we, we, we're lucky enough to live in, as of a few years back, we bought a, a little house in Puglia in South Italy, and we have 70 olive trees, and it's a, it's a little oh, haven. Beautiful. I mean, it's such a place of nurture. The lands mm. there, the landscapes, we, we feel very nurtured by that. Yeah. So nature again. Yeah. I'm very touched deeply to hear you talk about the importance of community. And you mentioned the word sangha. And one of the things that I think yeah. is deeply missing, especially in young people's lives right now, as relates to mentorship and leadership is yeah. the community. I think one of the things that the internet resent, kind of presents and represents to young people is a sort of community, even though it's, it's a facade in so many ways that that's where they're reaching to try to find connection. And to hear you talk yes. specifically about this program that you're embarking on in February that actually yeah. brings together and embodies the community that so many people are hung, young people in particular are hungry for um, is, is really heartening. I'm, I'm glad right. to hear that. That's, that's right. important work. Right. Yes. And I do find, 
um, in its own way, like I'm, my transformational coaching program is very global. It's 24 people, East and West. And, you know, being together three hours online every two weeks, it's very, it gets very intimate. Mm -hmm. So that's the best use of technology, I think, as well. You know, that a group can come together from all over the world. We share very deep spaces together, very emotionally yes. vulnerable spaces. And, and we're holding it. You can feel the presence of the group. So, I, you know, there is a big negative factor in technology and also if we use it well i think it's incredible mm -hmm. so as we're wrapping up our conversation i always ask the same question as the final question to my guests and and i think your book may represent a large portion of the answer to this but i'll pose it to you anyway what is the question that's not being asked right now? The question that is not being asked. To be perfectly honest, Bradley, I don't have an answer to that. Mm. And I don't want to, I don't want to give an answer that I don't have. Do you have an answer to your question? No one's ever turned the mirror back on me mm. before. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I'm curious, actually, where that question comes from as well. Maybe that's my question, is where is that question coming from? Yeah. The whole reason I've pivoted back into this work, into exploring the questions of presence that I was so enamored mm. by when I was doing theater, was to find a way to help people derive meaning and purpose in their life. That we had, mm -hmm. I felt like we had come to a point where there was so much disconnection and so much confusion yeah. and so much noise and very little signal mm -hmm. that it was difficult for people to, to listen deeply to themselves to be available right to themselves and thus be available to the world that that was something i was gifted as a, at a very early age and has guided my life and i mm. so that's if i were to formulate that into a question it would be how do i deepen the connection to myself so that i can be more available to to serving the world mm. and that's the answer. This is the work that you're doing. This is the work that I'm called to do. <laughs> so, right. so you've asked right. the question already, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, I ask a lot of questions all the time, so it's hard to think of one that's not being asked. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And is there something that I should have asked you or that you would have you would like to address that we didn't touch nothing specific no i really enjoyed our conversation um i think though maybe i'll finish with you know i watched the because we're using this word matrix um i watched the movie the matrix again recently 
and they use it in a different way there in a way the in a sense the opposite way but um mm -hmm. i do see that what's the the normalized version of reality is a kind of matrix as they say in the movie and what's really needed i feel to a large or at least to a very significant degree i and others around me we've unplugged from that and i want to support as many people as possible to unplug because it's i think it's absolutely needed to grow and grow and grow the number of people who are at least trying and much of the time bringing in a different frequency because the the normalized version of reality has a frequency and presence has a much finer frequency yes and that's what's going to create something new eventually even if along the way things may well get more and more ugly mm. we we have to have yeah. faith and i that's a very important word for me we didn't really touch that i don't mean religious faith but i mean i think one of our biggest and most essential challenges and where we really need each other is to stay attuned to what is trying to come in even as things get more and more ugly around us how to face what's happening in the world as nakedly as we can while while staying in touch with something that is trying to be born and being yes. a vessel for that as well is there a role for ritual in that practice funnily enough the last retreat i did with the lawyers i brought a dear friend of mine who is a ritual expert <clears throat> and we concluded the retreat with a two-hour ritual so there is a place for ritual it's not my gift but there is definitely a place for ritual yeah yeah, yeah. maybe that's, that's fodder for another conversation <laughs> yes <laughs> right <laughs> well yeah Wonderful. you might want to interview my friend he's he works absolutely with, uh organizations yeah yeah Wonderful. great nicholas thank you so much for not only your time but the gift of your work and your presence in every sense possible it's such a an honor and a privilege to mm -hmm. have a conversation with you and i hope that we get to meet in person i'm so intrigued by your work so thank you very much thank you bradley it's been a real joy and, and pleasure to be with you thank you Thank you for sticking around to the end of the episode. We're grateful for your support. And when I say we, I mean I. This is a one-man show. And any contribution you're able to afford, including subscribing, referring, shouting out, or if you are so moved, financial, would be absolutely incredible. You can find the show on Patreon with lots of great gifts for those who donate regularly. 
I also want to take this opportunity to tell you about my new coaching program called Awake and Roar, focusing on helping men and especially single fathers cope with some of the challenges around men's mental health. This involves reforming connections between themselves and the world, rewriting the stories that guide them, and falling back in love with life. You can find that information on awakeandroar.com. Thank you again, and we'll see you soon.